Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leppard. Uh, Financial advisor with Richard Young Associates, and I'm glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, yeah, we're excited to have all of you with us today here on our weekly radio show. We're right here every Saturday from nine to ten a.m. Um, you can also stream us off of our website, mm-hmm. moneymd.net. Have podcast out there? There you go. Yeah, click up on the uh, on the a, website. You miss can a week. pick up our podcast. It it loads usually right after the show's over. So uh, listen to it at any time. Yeah, yeah, pick up all of our old shows right there. Um, so it's a great way to do it. You can also listen to us on our smartphone. Um, download the TuneIn Radio app. It's another great way to listen. So all kind of ways to hear the money doctors. There's no morning. reason not to listen to us. No, I mean, no reason. Make it easy. Not to listen. Um, you know, we have an awesome show lined up for today. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about elections right off the bat here. Yeah. Right, Gordon, what, what are we going to say? Yeah, what well, you know, it was a crazy week. Um, there was some momentum, you know, going into this election for the Republicans. And uh, they took back the Senate, and now they have a majority, you know, in Congress overall. So it'll be an interesting, um, interesting time over the next two years. See what kind of goes on there, and then also how that affects the market. And that's one thing, you know, that we'll be talking about and uh, historically how things are performed. So we'll we'll take a closer look at that. Yep. Yeah, that'll be a very interesting topic. You know, um, uh, it's just amazing to look at some of the stats and what happens after elections in this next three to six months in the markets historically. And then we're going to also talk, though, about um, the five investment mistakes never uh, the five investments to never make ever. Yeah, <laughs> these are these are some bad ones. They, they are, you know, and really we're talking about types of investments. You know, there are principles here. There are certain types of investments you need to steer clear from, and they're good reasons. So we'll give you five examples here. You need to listen to this because um, these kind of things crop up in different different forms. All the time, mm-hmm. we see these all the time. Yeah, no so. doubt. Now we're going to close the show up with a an article um, about uh, getting financially fit uh, at age fifty. A lot of times, you know, uh, guys, we have people walk into our office and they've turned fifty, and they're like, "All right, I'm, I'm ready to start now." You know, ready to the retirement phase. And it's like, well, we can help you, but you have to really get serious about it. So we've got some things here that you can look at. There are ways that you can catch up and make some uh, make some changes in the last you know twelve to fifteen years before you do retire. So we're going to cover that. At the good, end, good topic, and we're not going to talk about football because <clears throat> no, nobody's happy. So, I will say that um, the Carolina women's basketball team is ranked number two in the country. So <laughs> that's I'm amazing. Brag about something that's amazing, John. That's amazing. Number two in the country. That's that be is nice great. To, be nice to see if your football team can ever win another I don't know, uh, another hey, game know, too. The, girl, the girls' basketball team might be able to beat them in football right now. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a different season. We're going to basketball. This is Carolina. We're talking about, by the way. We'll see. Staley, Staley's done a good job uh, there. Yeah. She's been so, good. 
Yeah, in Georgia, they're licking their wounds. Man, hoping to that come was back a rough today, weekend. So. It Guys, was. This is a financial show. Let's stay focused <laughs> now. If Carolina okay. wins next week, we can talk football. But. There you go. All right. Well, we'll head right into the financial stuff here. How about the financial fact of the week? Yeah, this comes from a, a poll from uh, the Harris Company that recently came out. And uh, it's kind of surprising. 45% of over 2,000 Americans that were surveyed uh, this fall do not believe in their lifetime that their financial situation will be better than it was before the 2008 financial crisis. So that's sad. Half, half of people, yeah, have not recovered. And I guess you you know, you talk about elections. I mean, there's some reasons why Republicans are have won control of the Congress is because a lot of people don't feel like they've recovered. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's sad. 40 half of Americans it just can't imagine, you know, half of them thinking they'll never get back to where they were in 2008. And gee, I mean, that was 6 years ago. Yeah. Um so, you know, I have to think, I hope that's not true. I hope, you know, they're wrong. Right. But we, this has been an incredibly slow recovery. It has been. I mean, job, the unemployment rate has certainly ticked down, but there's stats out there that say a lot of people are stop, have stopped looking for jobs. Right. Um, I know minimum wage is a big issue out there. Um, you know, it's it's a challenging environment if you do make minimum wage to, to survive. So it's it's tough. You know, when we have these type of crisis hit, um, We've also got to take a look at the behaviors yeah. that's involved, and you know it, it's going to be it's going to take a lot longer to recover if you don't adjust your behaviors. Mm-hmm. And right. so we'll, we'll see how that kind of plays out too over the next. And, little and bit. I think part of it's tied to wages too. Wages have been stagnant yeah, now for like five years, and that's a shame. I mean, hopefully we can you know with the new election here, new Congress. We can get to some real growth here in the U.S., which will which will mean higher wages. We yeah. got to have you got to have higher employment to get higher wages. You got to have some pressure mm-hmm. there on on wages yeah, to get and wages demand. up, and that will help the average person out there. And that's yeah. what we, we got to have that. So. Yep. All right. Interesting fact of the week, and that leads up here to our first topic, and that is the breakdown of how. The markets perform after the midterm elections here. You know, what does this mean for the future so here, Gordon's Gordon? So Gordon's got his crystal ball out. I'm impressed. Right. Man. No, yeah. no, 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 no. This was, uh, <laughs> this, this was from uh, William Watts from uh, MarketWatch.com. It was an interesting article that I ran across, you know, since we were um, right here in the middle of the elections, you know, mm-hmm. this past week and everything. Uh, and, and I also wanted to put out this disclaimer. Remember... We're looking at historical information and uh, not into my crystal ball, John. So, yes. uh, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not trying, trying to, to that's no. right, we're not trying to predict the futures and exactly which way the markets are going to, you know, go. But we're just sharing some information um, based on some of the trends that we've mm-hmm. we've recognized over the last, uh, gosh, since 1945, I think some of this information dates back to. So Yeah, it goes way well, back. That's yeah, great. let's go ahead and jump into this. It says, um, you know, like we've already mentioned, the Republicans, they had momentum going into this week. Uh, there's been a lot of discontent um, about the way things have kind of been handled over the last several years. You know, and it's really according to who you talk to about, you know, everything from the recovery to why we were in this situation. You know, what actually kind of caused some of the financial collapse. Um, but, you know, historically speaking, uh, what you may not know is how the markets have performed in the wake of these hard-fought midterm election battles. Uh, which are held in the midpoint of, uh, you know, presidential terms every four years. Uh, perhaps surprisingly, the the midterm elections have proved to be 
uh, a vote for the markets. Mm-hmm. You know, we've actually trying to make improvements. Uh, yeah, we, we've actually uh, experienced gains uh, in between uh, the November elections and I believe April. You know, so th- there have been some very positive, uh, you know, outcomes from that. And uh, and again, that's not to say that that we're predicting. Hey, we're going to have a uh, yeah. A run in equities, you know, per se. But historically speaking, here we've had uh, improvements, you know, going in, going into April or through April. Excuse me. So yeah, it's pre- it is pretty interesting when you look at the data here. Um, <clears throat> you know, the the period, like you said, uh, the six months from the from November through uh, March. Uh, I guess really through April, looking at the six-month period here, is an amazingly good period relative to the overall performance of the market. And uh, it's it's just pretty starting to look at the data. And, uh, you know, they say here, I mean, stocks have enjoyed this seasonal tailwind that has traditionally lifted stock returns in the autumn um, since the end of World War II. In fact, since October 31st through April 30th, that period has proven to be by far the strongest period for equities with an average return of 7%, 7.1% for the S&P 500, according to the data from the Bank of Montreal. And, you know, I have a theory about this. I think it's related maybe to companies. I don't think it's related to elections. I really don't. And maybe there's less uncertainty. Yeah. But I think it has to do with maybe companies' um, uh, fiscal years. Mm-hmm. You know, they're ending fiscal years at the end of – of uh, uh, September, a lot yeah. of times. Yeah, and you have and, going into the Christmas season, maybe some optimism as well. Just a lot of spending. I think there's more spending that happens in the in the first quarter of a company's fiscal year, in the first quarter of a person's fiscal mm-hmm. year. Yeah, and then the holidays, of course, have a lot of spending associated with them too. But you know, who knows the reason? But it's interesting. Yeah, and you look back, you know, midterm election years, they do see um, performance uh, pretty good. I mean, stocks have returned. Uh, about 16.3% uh, over that same stretch that you just mentioned. Um, and, that, again, that's according to the Bank of uh, Montreal. And the um, analyst at Credit Suisse found that in 21 midterm election years since 1930, the S&P 500 had seen an average of 7.4% in the 100 days after the election day and about an 18% average return uh, in the next calendar year after midterm elections. Now, wow. I mean, that, those are those are strong numbers. I'm sure there were negative years in there. And yeah, some but really 18% is pretty <clears throat> Yeah, it's very strong. Pretty strong. Um, you know, like, like we said, uh, Republicans did gain a majority back in the Congress overall. Um, and Sam Stovall from U.S. Equity, he's a U.S. Equity strategist at S&P Capital IQ, he notes that the combination of the Democratic president and a unified Republican Congress has been accompanied by the best average performance for the S&P since 1945 and the second best since 19. 19- Oh one. That was a uh, that was an interesting fact. I, I, I felt that they shared with us. Um, going back to what was it, it said nineteen nineteen forty five. We had um, gosh, an eighteen point six return there. So, yeah, you know, it's a big yeah. number. Interesting mix there. It sure is. Pretty amazing stuff. So we'll we'll continue this discussion when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the midterm elections and you know, what does that mean to your investments? What does it mean to the stock market in general? Well, we wish we could rub our crystal ball and have a really clear picture of that, right, Gordon? But hey, I, I, I think everybody does. But really, you know, there, there's just some. It seems like coincidental numbers here. Uh, you know, and that was one thing that we kind of yeah. we, we let out of the last last section with, and something that you were going to kind of lead with and point out. Uh, now, so. Yeah, I mean, we're just talking about what the stock market has done historically after midterm elections. You know, particularly when you have a when you have uh, the government aligned the way it is today. And there's a very interesting table here that that I think is interesting, where it shows, okay, what if you have a Democratic president and a in a unified Congress um, of different parties, mm-hmm. or what if you have a split Congress with the with a Democrat or a Republican president? And it gives the breakdown going back all the way to 1900, which is amazing. And you know, there are eight years where it, the situ- after World War II, where the situation is very similar to what we have today, where we have a Democratic president and a unified Republican Congress, and um, you know, the average return was 15 percent. Over that six-month period following the midterm elections, that's that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty substantial. It really is. Now, having said that, you know the returns were good after all these midterm elections. So, yeah. <laughs> even in the other categories, that was a very good one. But you know, there's some others that are up there, and I, I think, you know, to me, this means the data. Yes, this is a good period of the year, but even that is not real consistent. Well, and you okay. you also have to take a look uh, at some external factors and things that are going on. You know, if you take that time period, um, industry uh, was booming, you know, especially with World War II and different things going on. There was a lot of things going on that were, mm-hmm. you know, that was fostering the, the economic boost and growth then. So, right. you know, it, it was more than just a midterm election. That, yeah, that right. There's always <clears throat> something that's going on. Well, I think this <laughs> is always, yeah. Yeah, and this yeah. was the average, though, of, of the eight years where we had a midterm since 1945, all the way through this year or last year. Um, so this is an average of eight different midterm periods. So, um, you know, this, this takes into account some really bad economies. So I think there's no doubt this is a good time of the year for the stock market historically. But I, you can't trade on that. Is my point? I guess you know you can't, can't time the market. You can't time. Yeah, this should not be. In, it's know, not that consistent. Guiding your investing strategy. <clears throat> it's not that consistent. It's a reason to be optimistic, but it's not that consistent. Yeah, I mean, this the gentleman Dan Greenhouse that they talk about in this um, notes that he's been peppered with questions from his clients about how stocks perform in the wake of midterms, and, and we get those as well. Um, they think you know questions about midterm elections and then the presidential elections, and you know. In general, I mean, we see no correlation. That's not that's not the um, the things you got to be looking for for when to invest and how to invest. I mean, um, these things are uh, there's a lot of data out there. People can can skew things the way they want to, but um, you know, generally, stock markets go up and go down, somewhat affected by the political process. But that's not the driver. And the, it's corporate earnings. Yeah, and, the, and there's no clear cut rules uh, right here that are pointing to specific stocks and mm-hmm. equities that, hey, you better be in this after the midterm election. So you know, I think we'll just have to wait and see uh, what happens over the next six months. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some, definitely some negative years in here. And, 
he says, yeah, if you look at the data, would certainly <clears throat> you'd certainly say that it was a mixed result, even though the average is good. And uh, we wouldn't disagree with that. It, it certainly is is mixed. So, um, yeah, you don't want to bank your future on the next six months here in the market. I think, as always, we would recommend that you own a diversified portfolio at your risk level that's appropriate for you, and then don't try to time it. Just simply rebalance and hold that asset allocation, you know, throughout. Steve, that's basically I, I was going to say almost the exact same thing. Don't make any drastic or quick emotional changes to your portfolio. Yeah, exactly. That's right. But we're optimistic. Hey, we are cheering the market on right here. That's right. right. Hope it goes well. Go, go, go. Absolutely. Woohoo. <laughs> All right. And that leads us up here to our, uh, I believe, prescription of the week. Yeah, the prescription this week is um, talk to your kids about money. We, we've talked about this before. Uh, a simple thing to do with young kids is three envelopes, um, 15% into saving. We believe in, in giving, 10% to giving, and then the other 75% they can spend or maybe save up for a goal. Um, for kids that are a little bit older or young adults, Dave Ramsey has a great book. It's called The Total Money Makeover. Um, you know, it's um, it's a life-changing book. I pass that out to folks that come through through our office and just say, you know, pass it on to the next person because it's changed uh, people's view on things. And then also the other one I, I kind of like is um, have a picture of your goal. If you're trying to pay off debt or an emergency fund, put something up on your refrigerator and talk to your kids about it and make it a family goal to, to hit whatever you're trying to do. So include them. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Have a visual reminder of what your goal is and why you're saving, why you're why you're putting money away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think putting it on your refrigerator, having everybody rattle, rally around that is is a very, very good thing to do. Totally agree. I mean, I know we've brought this up a couple of times, but you know we've been saving several years now again for a trip back to Disney. And we have a an old picture from when we went three years ago. I think there you go. You know, that's on our our fridge. So the kids they keep asking, "Hey, are we there yet?" They yeah. they, they they see the change jar, you know, fill up uh, with dollars and cents. But you know, it's, awesome. a, it's a process. No, they get to see it grow. That's cool. That's cool. All right, good topic, and that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is um, the five types of investments never to make ever. Um, yeah, stay away from them. Yeah, stay away from these. You know, I mean, we've talked about, you know, examples of investments never make before. Um, and so these are some of those uh, obscure type investments. Some of them may sound obscure, but they're they're very common out there in terms of principles. And I think there are principles you can learn from this, um, regardless of whether you're investing in these exact type of investments or not, um, to apply going forward with your investment philosophy and, and the investments that you make. You know, well, my, while you might not own any of these, if you invest long enough, you will certainly hear about similar ones like these that are equally poor. And, you know, these are just our opinions based on our experience. Um, so there's obviously room to disagree. And if you look at history, you could get lucky in some of these, and you could be okay, but maybe not as well. well. You could get lucky in Vegas as well, you <laughs> yeah, know, but that's uh, a good point. what's that going to cost you? Not, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, lots of us have been burned by risky stocks or poor timing on an investment over the years, but, but these really go way beyond that. Yeah, you know, any investment sounds good if it's presented in the right light, but eventually it, it boils down to, to math. I mean, and if the math is against you, you know, the investor, then you'll have to be lucky for it to turn out okay. So, you know, a lot of these, we see a lot of products that um, promise you certain rates of return and percentages and yada, yada, yada. When you do the calculation on it, it's a lot of it smoke and mirrors. Exactly. You, know? yeah, you have to really understand the investment. And, you know, here's one right up top, right up 
front, the first one here on the list that that sounds like you might understand it, but you know, trust me, there is a lot beneath the the surface here that you probably don't understand, and that is a viatical settlement. Um, you know, some people may not be familiar with these, but they get popular from time to time, and they sound really too good to be true when you hear about them. These are investments in an insurance policy on someone who is supposedly terminally ill. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, you know, and they're kind of sold with the idea that you're helping someone out that that needs money at this point of their life because they are ill. And what you do is you own one or more of these policies that are supposed to pay out, you know, maybe in a couple of years for a handsome profit. And unfortunately, these are not regulated by the SEC. And there have been, there's been lots of fraud in this area over the years, particularly in recent years. Lots of people have lost everything in these a um, number of years ago um, as a lot of these went bad. And the folks, you know, that that were insured by these policies didn't die on schedule. Um, they're just all kind of things that can can change and make this investment not a good investment. And these are often presented as a guaranteed return over a number of years, but a lot, like I said, a lot of things can go wrong. The bottom line here is that these really are terrible investments that are sold as low risk, but they really aren't. So steer clear of these. In principle, if it sounds too good to be true, as you know, you know, if you got to question it, get expert advice. If you can't understand it, then our suggestion is run the other way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and these are pretty complicated. So that was number one. Number two here on the list is uh, shares in an oil or gas program. And, you know, with all the new drilling and fracking that's going on in recent days, I mean, these have become pretty popular out there. Yeah, you know, you see a lot of the, uh, these type of offerings pop up in the contrarian type um, yeah. places. And alternative investing. Alternative investing. Right. And, you know, most of them aren't even offered on the main boards. Uh, you have to go to a secondary market to even pick these up. Uh, in fact, several, several years ago, I thought I would roll the dice uh, on some some oil shares like this. Okay. And, and I yeah, fell personally victim to... Well, by the way, this company doesn't exist anymore. They basically Ouch. folded, you know. So, those, those are definitely programs that you want to you want to steer clear of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, we'll continue this discussion when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at seven zero six seven three nine zero seven two five. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages and Gina News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who's a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the five types of investments never to make. Ever. Yes. Stay away. <laughs> stay away from these. Stay far away from these. And, you know, I mean, it, you may not own these exact type of investments, as we mentioned before, but the principles here really hold true, I think, over time mm-hmm. and throughout a lot of different types of investments here. And the first one we talked about was a viatical settlement, and that's something where you own an insurance a part owners of an insurance policy or an interest in an insurance policy on somebody that's terminally ill. And the point here is it's it's not a regulated security. So 
I don't think you should invest really in anything that's not a security without recognizing that it's very high risk. Okay, yeah. if it's not if it's not regulated, it's probably very high risk. And another thing is, this is very complicated. So if you can't understand it, you need to run the other way. Well, and, t- and ask yourself, can I can I afford to lose this? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, most people would say definitely no. But most people don't understand when they invest in these kind of things. I mean, yeah, and if it sounds too good to be true, another big red flag there. Okay, it just might un- be. If you can't understand, yeah. you know, how the return gets to be that nice, then you need to, you know, you need to beware. So that was the one, and then the next one here we've just delved into is an oil or gas program, and you know, with all the new technology out there, these have become pretty popular. Um, yeah, a lot of times these are sold as direct investments where you're kind of buying into a limited partnership, if you will, a partnership-type program, and they sound fantastic, you know, particularly when gas oil prices are a little higher than they are today. Um, you know, oil is very volatile, and it goes up over $100 a barrel mm-hmm. pretty often. And when it does, you know, these start floating out there again, and um, they sound really attractive. But unfortunately, a lot can go wrong with these, and they aren't. And when you dig down to the numbers, it's hard to get good numbers on how well these have done. Um, there, there are a lot of different types out there too. They're not that simple. Um, there are some wells known as developmental wells. Um, if they're near or are around a group of producing wells, and, and that's supposed to mean they're lower risk, well, take lower with a grain of salt. I mean, there are we're, we're in a whole different spectrum of risk when you start talking about oil and gas programs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, I've tried investing in one of these, as Gordon mentioned he had, and it was a very painful lesson, and it was a complete loss for me. Um, it was a dry hole, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. You know, and if you study the results from a lot of these different projects, which I did at the time, and, and I really started studying it after I started seeing, you know, how this turned out, what you understand is that the percent that actually pay off well is really, really small. Um, and then the ones that do hit and they do produce oil or gas, they don't return nearly what you might expect them to return. In fact, the ones I've studied had very few that really returned enough to repay the original cost of drilling hmm. or your original investment in the program. Um, you know, the maybe if 50% don't hit and are a complete loss, then the other 50 have to hit it big just to average out to a decent return. And unfortunately, in my experience, that is not reality. Um, you know, what I've seen is that only the people that usually make out good on these programs or the people that usually make out good really are the operator and the landowner. Mm-hmm. You know, those are two p- parties in these operations that do pretty well. Now, maybe you could do this on your property. There you go. Yeah. If you can dig, Guess you know, if you can discover oil on your property and, good. And, and if you can sign a lease for somebody else to come in and drill, I say go for it. You know, you get an automatic 20 25%. And you don't have to lift a finger. Yeah, my, my wife has uh, an aunt and uncle out in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, they have this type of arrangement. And it was yeah. funny. You know, they're just down-to-earth people. And we were talking to her one day, and she said, well, she said, you know, sir, she said, it's like Christmas every month when I go to the when I go to the uh, mailbox. But, mailbox. you know, she's that landowner that you're talking about. She's exactly. not just a real you know, investor that's trying to strike mm-hmm. oil by, you know. And she has no risk in that, in no, that investment. None whatsoever. Not. You yeah. know, they come in, they do all the investing, and they have to pay her a royalty. And, you know, if you're, if you're lucky enough to own some of that it land, is. it is fantastic. I, I know I have some clients that have oil wells 
and it is fantastic if you're on that end of it. Right. But if you're on the right. other end of it as a limited investor, you're not the operator. <laughs> that it's not nearly as lucrative a deal for you. I can assure you. You know, so um, and so that's one thing. And investors, I mean, they're lucky. I think to get the original investment back on average, but even that, I think, is rare. I mean, the tax benefits that people talk about, they're not worth very much if you lose your money. So I would suggest you avoid these like the plague. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, okay. good, good. Yeah, it comes from experience, too, I mean, in, in your studies and so forth. Um, and the third one here on the list is an insurance policy or an annuity that's purchased with loan proceeds. Uh, many times those proceeds come from your house, so you take a home equity loan out. And, of course, the numbers look great if you can borrow money at 4% and then maybe get 5% or or 6 or 7 or 8 Um But, you know, insurance and annuities have upfront cost, and, you know, the mortgage rates, what you're borrowing at, um, can and uh, eventually will go up. So it puts you at a pretty risky uh, situation. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this was a popular strategy back in the 90s, and, and I think it's making a comeback. I mean, we've seen a variation on this where you can take a loan against a stock portfolio that you don't sell. And, you know, this is a disaster waiting to happen because of the, the loan at some point will probably get called at the stock portfolio drops in value and then you have to sell out at a low price and the same thing can happen if you're taking a loan against your house you know you can have to have, potentially have to sell your house so and the principle here is when you mix loans with investments you are increasing your risk significantly and you're creating new ways for it to go bad so steer clear of that type of mix all right that was number three number four here on the list is a long-term bond with a maturity of 10 years or more this is particularly important when interest rates are very, very low like they are today. Sure, um, You have increased interest rate risk when you buy a, bond, a long-term bond with very low interest rates. And plenty of people, they buy these, and, and most of them have turned out great over the past 20 years. Um, but that's been history, you know. And other than last year, if you're looking back over the last 14 years of history, that you might think this is the perfect investment. But long-term rates have fallen almost steadily over the last 30 years with only a few minor pauses here and there. And that means that long-term bonds have looked terrific because they've gotten some appreciation as those rates fell. But if you look back over 80 years, um, long-term bonds have had a disproportionate amount of risk compared to their return. We call that an inefficient investment. That's Mm -hmm. an investment with a high volatility relative to its return that it gives. Um, kind of like gold. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's not a good combination. Uh, municipal bonds are often sold like this. Uh, same type thing. I mean, they're long-term bonds. So I'll just leave it at that on this particular one. You want to steer clear, I think, today of long-term bonds. Um, you want to have your, your bond, the fixed income piece of your portfolio needs to be short yeah. and high quality given today's interest rates. And then uh, the last one here on the list is a leveraged ETF or a hedge fund. You know, these have been some of the hottest crazes over the last few years, and they, they sound really, really sexy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they look uh, pretty attractive, but it's, you know, it's kind of like you take a pretty girl out on a date or something, you know, and then you kind of get to know her. And yes. She's not as pretty as she. She's good from afar, but far yeah. from good. Yeah. Uh, so, gotcha. Not as know, pretty on the inside. These, these exchange traded funds uh, that invest they they invest in sectors or different indexes uh, on leverage, and that, that's with borrowed money. In other words, there's a loan against the fund that buys extra shares or futures 
of an index or you know sector. So they're they're very very dangerous. Yes, very volatile. Yeah, that's yeah, so. that's exactly right. I mean, if the market moves up or down, say one percent, the fund may move up or down two percent because they're leveraged. You're doing it on borrowed money. Um, hedge funds also do a lot of this leveraging. And the problem, besides the extra risk, is the cost of the leverage. Some huge the cost. Exactly. I mean, a lot of times they'll use future contracts, and those are very, very expensive. And that cost comes up every few months and eats into the profit. You know, it's like going to Las Vegas and continuing to plow your winnings back into the game over and over again and doing that on borrowed money. I mean, who do you think is going to end up with all the money at the end of the week at yeah. the casino? Yeah. It's going to be the casino. They have, they have big buildings for a reason. Absolutely. <laughs> it's called the golden rule. Yes. <laughs> that's exactly right. Those with the gold rule. They own the, the rule, don't they? That's exactly that's right. right. Yeah. So eventually your luck's going to run out on that. So, you know, stay away from any kind of leveraged investment like an ETF or a hedge fund. Um, so the takeaways here are these so-called alternative investments – they sound too good to be true for a reason, and that is they usually are. Um, so don't walk, but run away from these type of investments like vertical settlements, oil and gas programs, leveraged, uh, or hedge funds that are leveraged. Steer clear of any investment that inc- includes a loan or leverage. And in today's world of low interest rates, you certainly don't want to be in long-term bonds, in our opinion, of any kind, um, in most circumstances. Lots of investments sound new and exciting and interesting but beware of any type of investment that you really don't understand so that's kind of the uh, moral of the story here if you want excitement go to orlando and ride one of those new roller coasters there you go there you go um all right well, that leads up to our break here but if you have questions you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at richard young associates at 706-739-0725 you're listening to money md we'll be right back after these messages Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marber, the certified financial planner. And I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are um, starting off here, our last segment, with the question of the week. And this question came from a, a client had a meeting this last week, and they were talking about college savings. They have one child in college, another one uh, senior in high school, and another one that's a junior in high school. And so just kind of talking through the different saving options, ESAs, education savings accounts, uh, you can put 2000 in there. And they live in South Carolina, and South Carolina has a, a 529 plan, which is pretty advantageous from a tax standpoint. Um, you can actually save about 7% on your state income taxes whatever you put in there. And so he's going to have, you know, for the next probably six years, he's going to have two kids in college. If he's funding that at 20 grand a year, $40,000 total times 7%, that's $2,800 he could save. And he was like, wow, he didn't realize he could, it could be that much. So tax savings are a big advantage to the South Carolina 529 plan. Yeah. The 529 plan really is, you know, one of the best tax vehicles Mm -hmm. for college. On the planet. I yes. mean, it's like a Roth IRA that's also tax deductible at the state level. Right. You know, you just Very can't. Unusual. I mean, you get double. It's a double tax benefit at the state level because you get the tax deduction on the front end 
and it grows and comes out tax-free on the back end right. at the state level. And Georgia is a little different. You can only put $2,000. Um, yeah, you can put in a it. lot of money into the 529, but you can only reduce your income by $2,000 per child per year. So less of a tax advantage on the Georgia side, but South Carolina, that's that's re- you're talking about real that's money. Significant. That's very yeah, significant. Absolutely. Yeah, with three kids in college, you know, I was hammering that as hard as oh, I absolutely. could. And I live on that side of the river, South Carolina, yeah. as hard as I could going into college. So um, that's... That's a really good thing to do. So good good question of the week. All right, and that leads up to our last topic here, and that is um, for those at 50, nobody in this room here. Uh, other than other than <laughs> myself, Wong, it's, uh, the one and only. Yeah, if you're getting financially fit at, at for retirement at 50, um, good topic here because, yeah, I mean, when you hit 50, you are really in the home stretch. I had this conversation this week. Somebody that came in the office, they were like 53, and I was like, you know, it's time to make hay, man. I mean, you're in the, you're in the home stretch here. Yeah, so. it really is. I mean, a lot of times, you know, age 50, uh, retirement starts to seem less abstract. I mean, when you look at retirement planning, a 50th birthday can be a wake-up call for a lot of folks. And it can also uh, offer a powerful reminder to those um, trailing-edge baby boomers and the Gen Xers who are coming through their, their 40s. Uh, you know, a lot of those folks are wrapping up their second act in their careers with inadequate uh, retirement savings, uh, you know, getting ready for that third phase right before you go into retirement. Uh, you may find yourself with uh, with a shortfall, but um, that wouldn't be unusual. I mean, your peak earning years... Uh, typically arrive in your 40s or 50s, but so do other responsibilities. A lot of times they have big price tags. I mean, you think about raising a family, uh, college we just talked about. Sometimes you have to care for your aging parents. Um, and then you throw in some wild cards. Unfortunately, divorce is uh, is a reality for many people, bankruptcy, health scares. Um, so a lot of these things stand in your way to building significant wealth. And you know, it happens more frequently than not. So we're going to kind of go through some some data here, and it's it's not pretty. No, it really isn't. You know, according to a recent Wells Fargo retirement study, the median monthly retirement savings contribution by middle-class Americans in their 40s is only $200 per month. Yeah. I mean, that is pathetic. Yeah, that's, that's not big enough. Yeah, and how about middle-class folks in their 50s? You know, um, you think it's got to be more, right? Well, no. According to this these statistics, uh, for folks in their fifties, the median contribution is even less at seventy eight dollars per month. That's only that's less than a thousand dollars per year. Mm-hmm. I mean, holy smokes, man! I mean, if you're in your home stretch to retirement and you're only putting away a thousand dollars a year, you are relying way too much on the government. Yeah, here. Um, you know, Social Security is not going to get you where you want to be. Uh, you know, at retirement, so so wake up here. Yeah, I mean, these were folks in there that made fifty to a hundred thousand dollars a year in income. Yeah, that's significant income, and you know, just as alarming, fifty percent of the survey respondents in their fifties said they would ramp up their retirement savings later um, to make up for what they weren't doing now. And you know, when you're in your fifties, there really is no later. You have to act now. I mean, later really means your your sixties, and you know, a lot of times people say, "Well, I'm going to work till I'm 70. Well, the stats that we see is, you know, typically someone is going to be exited out of the workforce either because of health reasons or maybe you're laid off. And so working to 70 may not be an option. So you gotta, you got to focus on this. And, and there's some things here that we're going to talk about 
um, that you can do. One of them is ketchup contributions. Ketchup right? contributions. That's right. They may they may sound um, you know kind of minuscule whenever you're looking at the big picture, but when you factor in the potential investment returns and the power of compound interest, they really aren't. I mean, they, they can go a long ways. Uh, you can start catching up uh, you know, contributions in the year in which you turn 50 years old. Yeah, you know, right. So, which means you could be forty nine in that year and still make a contribution. Correct. Um, and you know, if you have um, you know a five figure retirement savings at at age fifty, your retirement savings could actually double, um, or more than double, depending on how you have it invested by the age of sixty five. And I did some some calculations. Um, you know, in two thousand fifteen. You can put twenty four thousand dollars away into a four hundred one k. That's the, yeah. um, the catch up contribution as well. If you do that for fifteen years, from age fifty to age sixty five, and you can earn a seven percent rate of return, that's six hundred thirty four thousand dollars. Wow! So you can make a lot years. happen in that last you, ten you fifteen years of retirement. You have to focus though. You it do. has to be a priority. And and uh, as I mentioned a minute ago, two thousand fifteen, there is a thousand dollar catch up contribution. Uh, for IRAs and 6000 for 401Ks and so forth. So, I mean, the government's put some provisions in there to help you um, kind of go through that process and try to save a little bit more. So there's some other ways to do it as well. If you're self-employed, um, there's something called a SEP IRA or a solo 401K. You can defer up to $53,000 into those plans in, in 2015. So simple plans is another way to do it. So there are some options out there. You know, you can obviously call us up. We'll help you out with the questions. But you know, there's another big thing looming out there, and that's debt. Yeah, you you got to slim down your debt in retirement. That is a key. Um, retiring debt-free is a remarkable financial gift that you can give yourself, and you ought to strive for that. You will always have some, you know, consumer debt, and, um, you know, maybe you incur medical-related uh, debts, but paying off the house and avoiding the large new debts that should be really high on your to-do list because that is a big deal in retirement, getting that house payment, that, that mortgage behind you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once your residence is paid off, I mean, you may consider to move to a uh, you know, cheaper, tax-friendly state uh, or maybe downsize as well um, and have some extra cash as well. So that's a big one, getting rid of that debt. Uh, the, the another one here on the list is um, looking at long-term care and disability insurance. Um, you know, long-term care insurance is very expensive right now, but it's something that you can put in place in your late 50s that will set yourself up and give you some protection um, as you go into uh, your 60s and 70s. So that's another piece of protection. you got to look at some insurance coverages and then obviously doing some rebalancing that's as right. well as important. That's right. Revisit your portfolio and uh, its allocations. You know, since 1964, there have been seven bear markets, and on average they've lasted slightly more than a year. Um, you know, it took the S&P about 3.5 years on average to return to where it was prior to the plunges. But, you know, always keep a close look at, you know, uh, your allocations there. At least visit them uh, once a year. Yeah, and if you're 50 or older, I mean, think about those last couple of sentences there about the, the bear markets. They're, they're really normal. Um, you know, if you're very aggressive, maybe you shouldn't be there. And I think we talked about this before, maybe last week, about look at 2008 as your benchmark. That, that is a, a great year that you can figure out what you can withstand in your portfolio. So That's right. Really consider your timeline. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you got to look at these percentages. They have another thing here is, um, you know, maybe you should tap the inside of a seasoned financial professional. 
Ooh, you know any idea. of those? Yeah, that would be season, us. Season, somebody with a little gray hair. John? Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. That's definitely me. Yeah, <laughs> we're all getting there. So, you know, th- there are a lot of things um, we we see when people come in. I w- I'll say that when you get into your early fifties, typically the kids are are getting out of the house, out of college. Um, you know, I have some of my clients that are paying off their homes in their early fifties. Yeah, kids are out of college. They can then just sock a ton away and you do that for 10 or 12 years and you can make up a lot of ground but it's got to be a focus you've got to think about it you've got to plan for it and that's that's one of the values that we add to our clients is going through that process and helping them figure that out yeah you got to make hay once you're in your 50s that is the time there can't be a more important time to do retirement planning Mm -hmm. than when you're in your 50s so if you haven't done retirement planning if you're in that category you know, get on the ball. You can do it yourself. There are lots of online things. But I would suggest you you give us a call, really. It's not that big of an investment, mm-hmm. and it will do wonders of getting you focused and looking at the best worst-case scenarios for retirement. It is critical you know where you got to get and how you're going to get there. Yep. So, all right, great topic. And that does lead us up to a close for this week's edition of Money MD with John, Steve, and Gordon. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.